Good to be with you, family. Uh, amen. One person's happy to be here. His name's Billy, and uh, I'm happy to be here, too. Uh, just good to be back. I'm just thankful uh, for Mike uh, stepping in the last two weeks. Got a much-needed break uh, from all that. I'm going to just do something here for a minute. There we go. All right. Um, good. Well, he- here's what I want to do. You can, If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Luke chapter 8. That's where we're going to uh, be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. Uh, we would love to uh, give you that as a gift if you don't own a Bible. Uh, I believe the Bible is the best book you can own. It's God's Word. It's His revelation to us, and uh, it shares all that we need to know for life and godliness. Um, so as you guys are turning there, just wanted to, to share just real quick before we uh, dive into the sermon. A lot of you guys, uh, I think, have been kind of in the loop on uh, our family's uh, past couple weeks and months. Uh, just wanted to thank you for, for your sincere love. Felt very cared for prayed for, uh, and just wanted to share real briefly what we've been walking in, and then uh, more just as a, a mode of thanks, and just to keep you in the loop. Uh, it's funny, it, <laughs> being in this role where you're so used to caring for uh, others, it's very weird uh, to even re- receive care back, and I, I think that's really just pride in my heart. Uh, so thank you for being patient with me when you've checked in and I don't respond, or, uh, or delayed, or give you short answers, or... Uh, just thinking through how to how to take it all in, but but basically, just short of it is back in November, we thought we had a, a healthy pregnancy, and then the day before um, Christmas Eve, we found out it was an ectopic pregnancy. For those of you that aren't medical, that's just where it's in the tube, not in the uterus, so that's not good. It doesn't make it to the uterus to be healthy and grow and get blood. So it eventually uh, tissue grows there, then it eventually ruptures. When it ruptures, that's life threatening. So you got to do emergency surgery. Uh, and so uh, Tuesday morning, around 2 a.m., Kristen's uh, tube ruptured. And uh, her abdomen started filling with blood. She went unconscious. She was having trouble breathing. I rushed her to Valley ER. And uh, praise God, our doctor was around. He did emergency surgery on her, had to remove her right tube. And uh, she's recovering. Uh, So uh, she's a superstar. Uh, A lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, but um, she'll be okay. Pretty, pretty big recovery ahead because she uh, can't really pick anything up for like a month, and that means Jackson. So uh, I have to pick him up like for everything. Uh, so my biceps are getting huge. I just, um, and that's been great. And um, <laughs> yeah, they feel really good today. Um, so that, that's been good, and then she can't drive for a couple weeks. You don't want her on the road anyway. So, so we're, we're keeping her off the road for two weeks. Uh, she always hits that right curb. We laugh about it all the time. If you guys ever seen our cars the right side, just look at the right side of our cars. It's very funny. All the wheels have scratches all over them. Uh, but, yeah, I'm just thankful for her, thankful for her life, thankful that God spared her. So we're, we're just we're thankful for that. Doctors said, praise God, we caught it early. Um, and uh, so we've been wading through that. So I wanted to also say thank you so much for just the meals that you've been bringing over, uh, keep them coming through 2017. That would be amazing. I, I feel we, we feel so served by that and uh, deeply loved by you guys in that way. So um, just, just thankful for that. And, and here's, here's maybe the second reason why I wanted to, to share uh, that just with you really quick is, um, you know, I don't know. I, I've said this before. I don't know how you guys uh, come in this room. I don't know if you're new to church, new to Christianity. You've been attending, you know, for a long time. But um, you have to remember that, that this is a place of good company. So if you've got, you know, a space of sorrow in your life or a time that was tragic or you've got issues or concerns or burdens or you're heavy laden, this is, this is good company for you. Um, I hope you never see a preacher preach and think 
that he's got it all okay and he's always preaching to everyone else. Actually, preaching is really just preaching to your own heart that just ripples out and overflows into everybody else. And so um, that's what happens in preaching is you hear a preacher get up and preach to himself and you're just the recipients of hearing the ways that God is penetrating and, and bolstering his faith and using those things in his own life. And so uh, just know we, we are with you on the ground. We're with you in the struggle and the sorrow and the anguish and okay, no one's, no one's void of that. Okay, and if you are void of that, just wait a couple weeks, months, or years till you enter that space because when you enter that space, you, you need something. Now, now, here's the great thing, right, is we all come together in good company, not just to wallow in self-pity, though, and not just say, oh, woe is me. We, we come because we actually have an answer for it, right? So, so we're, we're all called, no matter what space or time or season that is, to, to throw ourselves on to the only one who offers redeeming hope and, and kindness and life, and that is Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to continue talking about and sharing and proclaiming. And that's what gives us sustainment and refuge and comfort. And Jesus has been really kind to our family. Uh, he's been really kind to us through this season. We've been learning a whole lot, um, uh, not just through this season, but just in ministry and life in general, and so we're just we're grateful for that. So um, just just know also just just be reminded that um, you know this is what Luke is doing. Luke is laying before all of us the only place that hope is found, right? And it's in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So he's gonna he's gonna keep showing us why Jesus Christ is the answer. Okay, he's he's been doing it through through a number of things, and um, we're praying as we walk through this book that we'll slowly begin to grasp the beauty and wonder and awe that is all caught up in the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay, that's why we're only chapter eight, but it's been great. Okay, because we want to take our time walking through this book just to keep looking at Jesus, seeing his ministry, seeing his life, seeing all that he does to warm us, encourage us, deal with us. How do we know what God's like, how he behaves, what he's like? We look at Jesus. And so we're seeing that here in, in this uh, beautiful book. And so uh, in the end of, all, end of it all, there's just one point, that he came of a virgin birth and lived a perfect life and went as a substitute for you on the cross and took the wrath of God towards you in your sin and killed death, Satan, and sin in the grave, rises again, victorious over it all, and says, here, you got eternal hope, eternal life, eternal forgiveness, walk in newness of that, get in my family. I'm adopting you in. Let me give you my Holy Spirit to enable you now to, to persevere and go. And that, that's the beauty of it. Okay, so if you're new to Christianity or Jesus, that's what we celebrate here. And that's why even in the midst of darkness or sorrow, you can find hope. So um, let's pray and ask God to, to give us something this morning and, and to encourage us and me. And we'll roll. God, thank you that, that you're a God who uh, understands weakness. Uh, so thankful you're not detached, Lord. Thank you that you're a God that's personal who's able, who's sufficient, who's um, aggressively involved in our life. God, thank you for dealing with our mess. Father, thank you that we have a place to set our eyes. God, I pray this morning that you would uh, lead us to green pastures. God, thank you that in Psalm 23, it's not besides still waters where you minister to us, but you set up a table in the presence of enemies, in the presence of darkness. Father, use us. We need your spirit this morning to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 8, uh, where we're going to be, and here, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a, a story that goes from like verse 40 to 56 or 59, uh, based upon the circumstances this week. I didn't get through the whole thing. That was my plan. My plan was to go through uh, this whole kind of story with uh, Jairus' daughter who's dying, and then the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. We're just going to look at the first eight verses, 40 to 48, and the next week we're going to finish it up. So we're going to look at, basically, we're going to focus on the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhaging uh, for 12 years, and then we're going to next week kind of pick back up on Jairus' daughter who is on the verge of death and what Jesus does there, okay? So that's, that's where we're going to be. So here's what you're going to see, though, in this passage. You're going to see Jesus do something that he's done before, okay? You're going to see him heal. You're going to see him raise the dead to life, okay? So these are two things that you're continuing to see Jesus do. But here's what I believe Luke's going to do for you this morning. He's going he's to give you a deeper window into the beauty of Jesus, okay, we're going we're gonna to see something a little bit more underneath it all, not just him healing someone, not just him raising to, de- raising to life the dead, we're going to see something a lot more profound. He's going to really deal with his deity, okay, and show us a little bit more about what he is like. So previously, here's what happened. He went over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he, he met up with that demoniac. Mike preached on that last week. He basically turns that demoniac into a missionary. So this guy who was oppressed by demons, oppressed by Satan, is now a missionary for Jesus and the cause of Christ. If you read Mark's gospel, It says he goes to the Decapolis and just starts telling everybody about what Jesus had done. He starts proclaiming the good news of the future death and resurrection of Jesus. And so here's the other piece that you got to know in that. The the people didn't want him anymore, okay? So if you read other gospel accounts, they want him back on the other side of the lake. They don't like it. Whether they were afraid of what he was doing or whatever or taking away power or we don't know. So he heads back over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and this is where everyone is waiting for him. Okay, they just can't wait till Jesus gets back. Why? Because he's the hero of the day. You gotta understand that Jesus by this point is a celebrity. Okay, because imagine this. What if Jesus incarnates today or returns today, comes into this world, and he banishes illness from Bergen County? I mean, who's lining up? Right, whether you got a cut to cancer, you're coming and you're going, hey, heal me, right? I mean, everyone's in the line. Line's gonna stretch all the way down 17. Don't care how long you're in the line for because you're gonna meet Jesus, right? So everyone is anxiously waiting for him. Everyone with infirmities, diseases, illnesses. So Jesus comes back over to the other side and there's this guy in particular waiting for Jesus to come back because he's got a daughter who's on the verge of death. I'm sure anxiety's building, I'm sure he just can't wait till Jesus shows up, till Jesus arrives. And as Jesus comes to the other side of the lake and he's preaching and teaching, understand he's on one hand healing because he wants everyone to, he wants to demonstrate and show that he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament Messiah that's doing the things that will happen when he brings in his glorious kingdom. So that's, that's one aspect. The other aspect is, is he's validating who he is so he can not only heal disease and sickness but show I can also heal sin on the soon-to-be future death and resurrection at that point in time that he would take on the cross. And so uh, here he's doing that, and verse 40 is where we're going to pick it up. This is what Luke says. Now, when Jesus returned, he returns across the lake, right? He's back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When he returned, the crowd welcomed him. Okay, they're they're welcoming because they, they can't wait. Dr. Phil's back. Right, they're so excited to have him back on the other side of the lake. They can't wait for him to heal them and make much of them and excite them with all that he does. And for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Okay, so in this crowd, in this massive crowd that's waiting for Jesus, there's one guy in particular who is 
really waiting for Jesus? Jairus. And what's interesting is he's a synagogue ruler. Okay, this is very uncharacteristic for him. Okay, now we're not going to spend a lot of time on him this morning because we're going to do him more next week. But, but all you need to know is he was like the leader of the synagogue, deeply connected to the religious establishment. So, man, everybody knew at this point in time the religious leaders really were kind of plotting to kill Jesus. So for him to go and want Jesus, the very one who everyone else wanted to plot and kill, is really weird. So he's, at his, he's clearly at his wit's end. Here's what's so amazing to me here is his grief is so heavy that he just doesn't care anymore. Like, he just doesn't care about what religious people think or what they'll think of him. He knows that this is the person they're supposed to hate and not like, but he's so at the deepest end of suffering that he just comes and says, I I just need Jesus. Now, how true is that for us that know him? Right, I mean, when you realize how desperately you need Jesus, whatever situation is, whatever loss, pain, sorrow, you do whatever it takes to get to him. You don't care about what people think. You don't care, family doesn't matter anymore. Spouse doesn't matter anymore. Nothing matters anymore. You just want to get to him. So this is what you're seeing in this man, Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler who, by all accounts of religious establishment, would say, don't go, you don't need Jesus' help. He's doing stuff in the power of Beelzebub, of demons, right? They're attributing his works to Satan. And here Jairus still finds himself on his face before Jesus. Amazing. A man who had prestige, a man who had power. Man, synagogue rulers, they were the guys that did all the administrative stuff at synagogue, appointed the teachers, appointed the reading of the scriptures. So this guy who's used to delegating is humblingly bowing. Amazing, right? Just the picture of that. He's desperate. He's in grief. Verse 43, let's, let's keep going. And Jesus went. Really, Jesus went with him. Read Mark and other accounts. It's how you really see it. Jesus goes with the man. He's not just going along his way. He's going with Jairus. He's agreeing in this. The people pressed around him. As he went with him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. (laughs) Okay, just stop with the first three words here. Jesus went with him. We can't, we can't fathom the demands on Jesus, like, like the pressures like, that's why you'll see him in his ministry eventually. like, man, i got to get out of here and go somewhere quiet to just rest and pray. He's constantly doing that to get away, right? I mean, the crowds are constantly consuming him. Remember, he's, his humanity's coming out here, okay? So he gets tired. He gets weary in his human side, right? So, so he experiences all of that weakness, right? Doesn't sin, but experiences that weakness. So, so here, even in being weary and all of these different people just crushing and cramming in around him, he cares about this man. Like, he goes with them. He, he could have easily said, man, I got a lot to do. You see the crowd over here? I just stepped foot on the sand. Give me a minute. And he goes, okay, let me go with you. He sees the brokenhearted, and he walks with them. Man, he's, you, you read passages in the New Testament where he, it talks about Jesus being this, this savior, this king, who when he sees people broken and, and he sees that wick about to be you know, blown out, he doesn't, he doesn't squelch the flame. He doesn't blow it out. He actually preserves it. He keeps the the fire going. That's what Jesus does. And you see Jesus here. It's beautiful. Amidst this massive, massive crowd, he goes along with it. And and I love this. You know, most kings, when we think about rulers, and they're up in their castle, right, looking down on everybody, and Jesus just goes and pitches his tent right with people. He says, hey, let's go. Let's walk. 
ministers to them. It's beautiful here. And Jesus, I think, is just showing unparalleled compassion. Unparalleled. He, I mean, he had every reason to be like, stop bothering me. I know you're, I've done like 60 healings this month. I've raised the dead this many. And I love it. You go back to like John, right at the end of the Gospel of John, it says, man, Jesus did so many things that there are not enough books to contain all that he did. So, I mean, listen, we're just reading snippets. Don't think that this is like all Jesus did. He did infinitely more than what you're reading. And so we're just seeing just tidbits of what the divine Holy Spirit of God wanted to speak through each gospel writer for us to know that is enough for us. And so here we're seeing unparalleled compassion of God as he walks along this burdened, discouraged man. This is the Messiah of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. And, and now the man's faith is really going to be tested because <laughs> he's finally got Jesus. I'm sure he's got anticipation. I'm sure he can't wait to get to his house where his daughter's going to be saved. He says, actually, in Mark, will you, will you go to my house and lay hands on her so she may live and be well? And as he's going with him, oh, there's an interruption. How frustrated would you be? This woman shows up and stops him as they're on the way to heal his daughter. And so as they're going, there's this interruption on the way to his house, and there's another character that enters this scene. It's a woman who Luke says has been bleeding internally for 12 years. Now, we don't know the, the exact cause of the bleeding, but, but what we do know is anytime there's type of internal bleeding, that there is uh, loss of, you know, uh, stamina. There's probably possibility of loss of life. I'm sure there are a lot of physical effects that are happening on her, but you also have to realize that just socially, this is really bad. She knows back in Leviticus 15 that, hey, um, if you are, have any type of bleeding, if you're a woman who has any type of bleeding, uh, you're ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, right? And this was all symbolic of the spiritual uncleanliness of the heart. God wanted to show that you needed to be purified. So the regular monthly cycle of women was, was to demonstrate and show symbolically that, hey, we need to be purified regularly. Now, of course, we know that over and over and over as they did sacrifices and went through cleanliness and uncleanliness that it never eventually worked until Jesus comes who purifies once and for all, right? So he, he does it fully. But up until this point, she knows what it's like not just to be ceremonially unclean. And when you were unclean, you couldn't touch anyone. Couldn't touch your kids, couldn't touch your husband, couldn't touch your family, couldn't go in the synagogue, you were kicked out of the synagogue. So listen, this woman doesn't just know what it's like for a month. It's been 12 years. 12 years, she can't touch somebody, she can't go worship God or hear the word of God. She is annihilated, she is isolated, she is an outcast, she is embarrassed, she is at the lowest of the low. Desperation, right? And she's gonna do the same thing Jairus does. I gotta get to Jesus, I just don't care anymore what laws are on me. <laughs> I don't care anymore who I can't touch and I can touch. I need Jesus. I need to get to the one who can heal me. And further, Luke says here what? She went around to every doctor in the area. She went to ones even out of network, right? <laughs> Didn't care. Didn't care. Spent all her money, all her money on all the physicians and couldn't be healed by anybody. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. I was writing, I was like, man, this is like the worst advertisement for the Galean Times Medical Association, right? Hey, guys, come to us. Never help. Right? I mean, just can't ever help. Can't, can't do anything for you. This is a terrible advertisement for them. And here she has spent all her money. She is socially, physically, financially, by every sense of the word, in despair. Right? Just can't, can't get on with 
her life, and so she needs to find Jesus. And I love this. She's gotten to a point where she just doesn't care about boundaries. I don't care if I run into 100 people on my way to see him. I just got to touch Jesus. Look at verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. I want to give you Mark's too, because Mark gives us necessary detail. It's up on the screen. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She's trying to avoid notice. She's trying to avoid embarrassment. She's trying to make her way through the crowd. Doesn't want people to really see her, know who she is. I'm sure 12 years, I mean, people know who she is by now. They probably labeled her. She's trying to get up to Jesus. According to Numbers 15, they would wear on their garments these tassels on the bottom. And understand when it says that she touches his garment, that word is to clutch, to grab. She's like grabbing that tassel. This isn't like a light little flip, you know, flip and touch. This is, this is, I mean, I am throwing my hand out and grabbing the tassel and holding it as hard as I can. She's gripping this tassel. Then it says, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Okay, so she's walking through the crowd like this, and she's going the whole time. She's just, it's almost like it's on repeat. If I could just touch his cloak, if I could just touch his cloak, if I could just touch his cloak. And she finally gets close enough to him and reaches out and just grabs a hold of his tassel. And just is holding and holding and holding. And as she does it, she feels her new organ system form. No bleeding, no pain. Don't you think in that moment maybe her whole world just stopped? And time just kind of froze, right? It's, it, it, it's almost like, wait, he really healed me. I actually, I mean, 12 years. Amazing. She's restored, right? This woman who's broken, who's a flickering wick, God doesn't snuff her out. He fans her into flame. He puts a song back in her heart. It's her faith that heals her. Listen, Jesus heals a lot of people. He only saves those who have faith. You'll see that in the Gospels. He only saves from sin those who have faith. He heals a lot of people. He doesn't save everyone he heals. And here we see that this woman has something more than just, I need you to heal me physically. There's more happening to her. And her hemorrhaging stops, verse 45, and Jesus said, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Okay. As he's surrounded by hundreds of people, he asks a question he already knows the answer to. Who touched me? He's not saying, who touched me, as if, like, I don't know who touched me. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's calling her out to reveal herself. So he goes, who touched me? As he's, as he's looking around, I love it. Captain Obvious Peter. That's just his label, okay? Peter always is just Captain Obvious. He's just always says, he, so he's like, Master, look, man, you're in a crowd of hundreds. Don't you see everybody who's bumping into you, touching you, pressing you? What kind of question is that? Of course, everybody's touching you. And Jesus knows that, no, 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 this isn't just someone bumping into me. This is someone who touched me, and I felt the power leave my body and heal someone. Jesus knew he healed her. She knew that he healed her. No one else knew what was going on. 
She was saying in her, to herself, I gotta touch his tassel, I gotta touch his robe, I gotta touch his robe. People aren't hearing her coming and screaming that. So they both know that this event has happened, and I love it because there's more Jesus wants to do. He's not done, he's not done yet, just like the demoniac last week. He not only frees him from the demons, he saves his soul. So there's more Jesus wants to press into, more Jesus wants to do. The woman is on her way to being saved. Now, don't, don't miss this. I believe this is, don't quote me on this, but I'm going to say it. I believe this is one of, I would, I would just highlight it. I perceived power went out for me. I believe this could be one of the most profound things Jesus ever said in his life and ministry. Okay? He said a lot of profound things. I mean, look, right under that, is, it is finished, right? Okay, yes, I know. We all, that, that, that's huge, right? That, that's massive. But, but right underneath that is this little saying, seemingly subtle, I perceive that power went out from me. Because up until this point, as we've been reading through the Gospels, all we've been seeing is what people are feeling, the created, right? We heal them, they're amazed, they're astonished, they're thrilled. They're, but here we start seeing what the creator himself is feeling. It's not just what the creative feels. And Luke is giving us a just astonishing window into his deity here. His power is personal. This is, this is unbelievable. Because so many times we think God's like this emotionless, just kind of like divine force who's totally detached. And things kind of happen. He makes things happen. But he's not like intimately involved. Like his power isn't involved in that. It's more he kind of commands things and has them happen, but he doesn't really feel like we feel. Well, th this is powerful right here. I mean, this, he experienced power flowing out of him, healing this woman, creating a new organ system in her body. He actually felt it leave him. Now, here's why this is so important. Colossians says, if you want to know what God is like, you just look at Jesus, okay? If you want to know how he behaves, how he acts, what he does, what he's like, you don't have to speculate, you don't have to search around, just look at Jesus Christ. He's the, inv he's the invisible God made visible. He is God in flesh who dwells among us, okay? So this is God, and we know now that God actually feels expressions of power when he does anything. So when he saved you, he felt it. Like he felt saving. When he forgives you of sin, he, he feels that power that forgives you of sin. When he puts the Holy Spirit in you, he actually feels himself putting the Holy Spirit. When he, when he sanctifies you and molds you and shapes you, he's actually feeling that. That's crazy. I mean, this isn't some like God's attached. I'm walking along, doing my Christian thing, and he's just up there working things out, kind of making things happen. He's actually intimately involved. Is this not living in union with Christ, right? You read that in the New Testament, that, that, that we're one now? I mean, his power is actually being infused. Every expression of power that God gives us, he feels. He feels it. It's personal. I mean, that's going to take us to eternity to really grasp. I don't think that's something that we can just sit here and go, A plus B. Got it, man. No, but that's something that we revel in, that we enjoy, and that we think about, and we marvel over. I mean, Luke's giving us an understanding of the deity of God the Father, not just Jesus, but and Jesus. 
just, just beautiful here. Hebrews 1 says what? He upholds the world by the word of his power. That's an active, personal doing that. He's not just up there going, I hope it stays up. He is actively involved in upholding the world by his power that he feels go out as he does it. Incredible. This is intimate personal involvement with every single one of us who's in Christ. This is as intimate as you can get. You know what I was about? It's a personal relationship with Jesus, right? It's about intimacy. It's about, well, well, think about what you're saying. Think about what that actually means. Think about what this woman is experiencing as Jesus says. Imagine if as Jesus was walking and he saves you, forgives you, comforts you, you hear him say, wow, I felt myself Give out divine compassion to Mike and wrap him in a blanket. Wow. Jesus is on the other end feeling that as he holds me? I don't know what to do with that. Let's keep going. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden anymore, that's the last thing she wanted, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She realizes that she can't escape being noticed at this point, right? She can't get out of it. And everybody sees her. Everybody is aware of what's happened now. And she falls at Jesus' feet. She's worshiping Jesus. She's in the posture that begs for mercy. And I love it. She starts just confessing. She starts just telling everyone in the whole presence of everybody what happens. And I, I believe this isn't just confessing that, that she was healed but confessing her need for mercy, confessing her need for comfort, confessing that, that Christ was sufficient for her. She's telling everybody here. She's telling the whole story. She's talk, telling everybody about the sickness, about 12 years, what it was like to be an outcast, to be at the lowest of the low, to be just you know, looked at and shamed upon and embarrassed and cast out. And it's just amazing. Her confession of her need for mercy, and I love this, based upon her faith, Jesus moves past the temporal to the eternal. Okay, and this is what I love about Jesus, is he, he deals with your deepest need. He doesn't just stop at the, the temporal need for her to be healed from the eternal bleeding for 12 years. She, he moves on to the eternal, and he moves from the immediate need to the eternal need, and he says to her, and how, how do we know that he saves her? How do we know he forgives her of her sin based upon his future work on the cross? He says, daughter. This is the only place in the New Testament Jesus calls a woman daughter. Only place. He says, daughter. And you know what is required to be a daughter or a son of God? You have to be saved from your sin and adopted into his new family. That's what it means to be a daughter. And here he's basically looking at her and going, daughter, you're in the kingdom now. You're not only healed from your physical disease, you're healed from your desperate spiritual disease of sin. Welcome to the family. Amazing. Amazing. And he says, your faith has made you well. <laughs> it's just the word used for salvation. You know when the, the lepers all leave and then one comes back? He says, your faith has saved you. Same thing. It's literally the word of your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you of your spiritual sickness. Amazing. I love that. Do you, if, if you're a Christian, 
Do you hear him calling you daughter or son? Like when you're in that, that place of just downcast sorrow, struggle, disappointment, do you, do you hear God saying daughter, son? That was one of the most comforting things for me walking through this. It's just, you're my son. My son. And, and the Heavenly Father, Galatians 4 and other places will show that he loves you as a perfect dad. He cares for you as a son, as a daughter. And because as I was thinking this, I thought, man, it's so, much, it, it's so much easier for me to believe that God will, like, accept me or put me in his family as long as I'm a slave. Which, yes, in one sense, are we a, are we a slave to righteousness? He's our new master? Absolutely. But listen, that, like, just is a no-brainer for me. Okay, I'm a little finite, puny human being. He's the master creator of all things. Yeah, he's master. I'm slave. I'm servant. I'll do whatever you want. That makes sense to me. But you know what is hard for me to understand is that it's not just servant, it's son. I mean, it's like the prodigal son, right? The guy doesn't get his inheritance, so he leaves. He just spews it all out. He wanders around. He comes back. What does he say to his dad? Hey, will you just take me back as a servant? I mean, I'll just, even if I could just get back in your house and serve you, that'll be good. And what does the dad say? I mean, no way. You're my son. We're going to throw a party. I'm not going to treat you as a, you're not a servant. You're my son. I love you. I mean, this is, this is the depth of love and kindness of God towards us in Christ. It's not just slave, servant. It's son. I mean, he cares for us as his kids. I mean, do you, do you, does that, is that a place for you to have as you worship, as you enjoy him? That he's not lavishing punishment, he's lavishing kindness, that he took punishment on the cross for you, that he's giving you what's necessary for you as a good dad to a son and daughter whom he loves. I just love that he sits there and calls her daughter, what that must have meant to her. Feeling no love, no touch, no intimacy, no physical anything. And he just, he calls her daughter. How much that must have warmed her heart. Um, you know, I was thinking, again, just a random thought. This week I was thinking about the more I read the Bible, the more I'm seeing in the Bible how it's not about me trying to prove that I love God. Now that's just from insecurity, right? Naturally, right? Most of us, if we're honest, we live our Christian life just feeling like we just got to prove that we love him. No, I'm going to show you how I love you. I'm going to do this, do this. I, I'm seeing more and more that it's almost like God is spending more of his time wanting us to spend our lives believing the type of adopted love he has towards us in Christ. Not spending your whole life trying to prove love to him, but spending life working on believing the love that he's given you in Jesus. Which is harder? I think the latter. Believing I'm not condemned, believing there's no punishment for me, believing that the slate's clean, believing that he walks me, believing that he loves me, that he's for me. Those, those are things that I have to aggressively ask the Holy Spirit of God to help me to believe and know. So we need to spend our lives enjoying and believing in that he actually loves us the way the Bible says he loves us. And enjoy that. And then walk in newness of life because of that. So we don't serve because we have to. We serve because we're loved. And we're a servant who's loved not just when we obey, but even when we disobey because of the purchasing work of Jesus. Amazing what we see there. Let's end here. Jesus says this last phrase. He says, go in peace. 
I love that because true peace can only be said to someone, spiritually speaking, if you've made peace with God. And he's saying, that's what's happened here. You've made peace with me, right? The ultimate person, the ultimate being that you need peace with is God. Because we've offended him, we've rebelled against him, we've wanted to be our own God and sit on the throne of our hearts and, and we've all sinned and strayed. We all have the nature of sin, the essence of sin in us. It's not just outward actions. It's actually an issue of our hearts that we can't cure, can't get rid of. And he goes, hey, I've healed you of that. Go in peace because of what I will do on the cross of Jesus Christ. And friends, this, that is to me the mystery of mercy. The mystery of hope. <laughs> because the mystery of mercy, the mystery of hope, is, is where you find joy in an unexpected place. When you realize this. Right? Because for Kristen and I, Tuesday morning wasn't just this, this joy of praise God that he's preserved her temporal life. It was, praise God, 17 years ago, he grabbed her from what would be eternal damnation and put her on the path towards eternal life and preserved that. I mean, that's what we're overjoyed at. So the great mystery of mercy and hope is, is not this, hey, you know, difficult things, why are difficult things happening? Why am I enduring this? Why am I walking in this? Why am I experiencing this, right? Because those people who realize that the difficulty now is never, it's never even close to as serious or great as their sins find joy somewhere really special. Because once you get out of that and realize, hold on, this difficulty is not near, or not nearly as great as the seriousness of my offense to him, then you realize the question is never, why am I walking in this? Why am I enduring this? Why am I, even though it's okay to ask it, the real question becomes, why in the world would a totally holy, righteous God come and live a life for my rebellion, for my sin, for my not acknowledgement of his throne, for my not acknowledgement of his beauty, for my lack of love for him, for my total indifference to his saving work. And then he would go and live a perfect life and then literally be my substitute. He'd say, okay, I'm gonna do that for you. I'm gonna lay myself on the cross and all the wrath that was ready to be poured out on you in full, I'm gonna take on myself for you, pay that debt for you and then bury it and then raise again and then gift you righteousness as I take your sin and then give you eternal hope and eternal future where you can enjoy me forever. That's the question. I mean, listen, if we can move our hearts there like this where he moves us from temporal to eternal and this woman walks away realizing, hold on, the greater need has been met. The ministry in your heart, the joy in your heart that, that can come and will come is deep and rich and abiding and beautiful. I believe that mystery, brothers and sisters, it was, is what can and will make all the difference as you walk through difficulty. That's it. I mean, we were sitting on our couch yesterday. I looked over at my wife as she's eating all of my Sour Patch Kids, which I'm like, come on, babe. Those are, and she's eating all of them. And she looks over at me, and I just said, aren't you so glad our deepest need has been met? Aren't you so glad this is a picture to point us to the deeper need, which was a sin-stained heart, that, yes, you're sitting here in the grace of God and mercy of God, but 
We're going to be eternally sitting together in the presence of God. I mean, why is this endlessly hope-giving for us? Um, We're so comforted to know as Christians that God is not indifferent to suffering, right? Because he went and suffered for us. And now that that's been removed and he suffered in our place, the suffering that we have, we identify with him in, and he carries us to glory, where he removes it eternally, forever. But, but more so than that, I think we need to see that, that God himself, Jesus, ultimately goes and identifies with us in his sufferings to redeem us by his own. He redeems our sufferings by his own suffering. There's a great pastor, preacher, Charles Spurgeon, 1800s, right? And he said this, and I've never forgotten it. He says that during times we grieve, the cross of Jesus Christ is so that you can trust in God's heart even when you can't see his hand. The, the, the hanging, slaughtered son of Jesus Christ is so you can trust in God's heart even when you can't see his hand. No one can ever escape that. It's a hanging picture and portrait for us, regardless of what you walk in. Him saying, this is how I've demonstrated my care for you and my endlessly ongoing love for you. You know, what a gift that we serve a God who is personal, who loves to be bothered, who loves to be interrupted like this woman. He doesn't say, hey, get out of my throne room. No, come in. Brokenhearted, you weary. No, come to me. I'm not going to blow your wick out. I'm going to fan that flame back up. You feel like you've lost the song in your heart? I'm going to take that song and put it back in your heart. That's the God. That's the Christ that we serve. Let's ask him for us to understand that and walk in that this week. God, thank you that you're a a, a king, a Christ, a, a servant who demonstrates unparalleled compassion, who is available to us, whose power is personal. God, just pray for those this morning who are just walking in a gloomy, dark cloud. Would they just know they're in good company this morning? And that they're not just in good company, but there is a great Christ to meet their great need. That we throw ourselves and we find our hope, namely not in just talking about it, but in a person, a God who came and died and ransomed us and rescued us to make us sons and daughters. God, would we be maybe a little bit more aware this week of the actual personal power of God in Christ that is infused, that you feel that is available to us? Would we be more aware of the greatness of our sin than our circumstance? Would we be more overwhelmed by mercy and kindness in Christ than difficulty? God, thank you that you care, though, even to heal and to preserve And as we take the Lord's Supper, as we remember your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, may we celebrate this very act of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.